0: Thank you, Justin. Happy New Year, everyone. Oh, it is so good to see you. We're thankful to begin a new year in the presence and hope of the Lord. Um, We want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for working with us uh, in advance. Next week, when we begin to loosen up more and welcome more back and try to create more room, don't forget that Brown Chapel uh, will be available for overflow. Um, and the new seating arrangement that Justin talked about, we believe the Lord's going to to really help us. Um, For those of you that are still unable to come back or just not sure, we want to say to you, as always, you are loved, you are missed, you are prayed for every day. And today we begin a new series, our theme for 2021. You can see from the sign behind me is Fight the Good Fight. It's Paul's admonition to Timothy, and we're going to give an introduction to that today, uh, understanding our struggle, just some basics of the kind of thing we want to talk about in the coming year. Um, I want to ask you to stand with me one more time as we recite the Lord's Prayer together as our custom uh, is. Welcome to all of our special guests and visitors. I want to welcome my uh, cousin Kathy, or husband Ray they're from Augusta, we're so glad to have them. And uh, anyone else that's, this is your first time with us, we hope you get hopelessly addicted to us today. And you are welcome. Father, thank you for this day. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, the scripture that will serve as our pivot point Throughout the year, I don't mean we're going to preach from this verse every Sunday, but this will be the uh, uh, forming a foundation for us to work out of. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different dynamics um, that are, um, I think, going to take us to another level of maturity. Is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Paul said this to Timothy, But you, man of God, flee from all this. Talking about the carnality of the age. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, a lot of Christians I know are good at fighting, but it's not the good fight of the faith. But he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I want to talk to you about 2021 for just a little bit. We'll go into a lot of detail tonight in our long emergency update. Um, we have been through a thorough shaking. It shouldn't surprise us. We've said it was coming for years. We've said, uh, you know, that it was the promise of scripture. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? in order that only that which is unshakable may remain. But I want to tell you, and I know you don't want to hear this, but deeper shaking is coming. Deeper shaking is coming. 2020, I know you don't like it, me neither. 2020 has exposed our heart. Everybody in America, uh, generally everybody, Certainly every church in America, 2020 has exposed our hearts, but 2021 will expose our affections. We, we found out in 2020 what we are at a surface level because what, you know, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And our reaction to 2020 told a lot about us as institutions, as families, as businesses, as individuals. But 2021 is gonna go a little bit deeper and it's not going to expose our hearts. It's going to expose our affections. We're gonna find out what, is, uh, what holds our devotion. What is a treasure to us? I, I, you say, well, what's the difference between exposing my heart and exposing my affection? Well, it's sort of like a couple when they get married. They know on day one that they love each other. I mean, they've just agreed to... to to pledge their life and their loyalty to each other. They swear before God that they're going to stick with this person. It's obvious they love them. But with the passing of time, they learn not only that I love you, they learn what it is about you that I love. And it makes it go deeper and it makes it go stronger. And loved ones, I want to tell you 2021 is going to be a time of revelation God is going to speak to his church about spiritual truth. We're going to understand reality like never before. He's going to speak to us about spiritual wisdom. And we're not only going to know what's true, but we're going to begin to understand why we do it and why we make it a priority. And God is going to speak to us about spiritual presence. We're going to be more aware of angels than ever before. We're going to be more aware of God's intervention in our lives than we have ever been. I want to tell you what I wrote in my journal a few days ago, and I said, Lord, we're coming up on 2021. Everybody wants a good word. Everybody wants um, a promise of a better year. And I said, what do I say? What is your word for the people of God at Christian Life? And I'm, I'm condensing it a little bit, but basically the Lord said this, tell them I'm coming after them. Now, I don't think that meant the rapture. I mean, I believe he's coming back for us, but coming after them, that's not grammatically referring to the rapture. I'm coming after them. When I was growing up, if somebody's coming after you, you better run for your life. But I wasn't that either. He said, tell them that I'm coming after them. And then right on the heels of that, he said, tell them I'm coming after their heart. God is pursuing our heart. And I want to echo the words of Mike Bickle uh, in a message I recently heard him deliver. You and I are living in a time, I'm talking about right now, we are living in a horrible time for compromise. Compromise. If you are a compromiser, if you are a pastor who's trying to build by fleshly means, if you are a a family that's trying to save everything you can by carnal means, you've picked a horrible time, a horrible time to be a compromiser. Because this is not going to be a time that will fare well for compromisers. It's not a good time to have a dull spirit that doesn't hear what the Lord is saying to the church. In the book of Revelation, chapter two and three, Jesus came into the midst of seven churches. I believe they were symbolic. I believe that they were chosen um, because of John's ministry. I believe they were directly related to John. And Jesus teaches us through what he was teaching John that he's right there in the affairs of every church. And some churches were, were strong, some were weak, some were a mix But to all of them, Jesus gave this admonition. He said, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who have an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Loved ones, none of us are perfect. None of us are devoid of areas that need refinement or work. None of us are. But may we always be sure that we're hearing what the Spirit says. May we always be sure that we're tuned in to what the spirit is saying, because this is not a good time to have a dull spirit. I want to say this. This is really the burden of my heart today. This is not a time for a spirit of passivity. I think the thing that does more damage to the church than just about anything else is not the opposition from the world. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have difficulty. You will be persecuted. He said, you'll be brought before magistrates. You'll be brought before the religious um, hypocrites. He said, and all of them will be designed to hurt you and to harm you. That's the way of life for the child of God. That's the way it's been with 2000 years of church history. That's the way it's going to be now. But Jesus said, listen to me. He said, You can survive anything and you can overcome anything if you will have a heart that is listening to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is not a good time for a passive spirit that says, um, I'm not going to act. See, uh, 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 um, a dull spirit says, I'm not going to hear, but a passive spirit says, I'm not going to act. The most dangerous and the most deadly place to be in the church of the living God today is to know what is right, to know what God has done, to know what God expects. But for whatever reason, maybe we're ready for retirement, maybe we're ready you know, for a, a change, maybe we just think we need a different job or a different spouse or whatever it is. But for whatever reason, we just say, I know this is true, but I'm not going to walk in it. That is a deadly place to be, and it's called the, the sin of passivity. Um, I believe with all of my heart as we go into 2021, we're beginning an era an era. Not, it's not. It's not going to be a calendar year, but I believe we're entering an era that will be the most challenging time in the flesh that most of us have ever known. But it will also be the most glorious time in the spirit that any of us have ever known. So um, we want to be sure, now listen to me, we want to be sure as we work through this series this year, we want to be sure that we're hearing the Lord, that we're honoring the Lord. Um, I'm going to talk two weeks from today about the you know, how to, how to receive a prophetic word. There's such confusion right now about what this prophet is saying and that prophet is saying. And um, I, I need to talk to you about biblical prophecy and how to receive a word from the Lord and the place of, of biblical, of, uh, of uh, prophecy, the gift of prophecy in relation to scripture. We've got to be sure that when we hear something from the Lord, that we interpret it well and we represent it well. We don't want to be like the church in Laodicea. Listen to me, loved ones. The church at Laodicea, under the uh, scrutiny of the Lord, said, I have earned this. I have gained that. I have excelled in all of these areas. And Jesus said, Your position, you look down on others, saying, I have need of nothing. But Jesus said, You don't know. Here's his descriptive phrases of the church of Laodicea. He said, "You don't know that you are really wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked." He said, "That's the way you're seen in heaven." Now, again, I'm not talking about our church. There's nobody in our church like that. This is this is obviously people in other churches. I know that. But you need to tell them. So that's why I'm telling you. But let me tell you what Jesus said, loved ones. Listen to me. He said to these people that thought they had everything, but were really wretched and pitiful, poor and blind and naked, He said, Buy from me gold refined in the fire. There's something that comes from the presence of God and testing. The presence of God and testing. 2020 has been a year of revealing what we are, and, or 2020, I should say, and 2021 will be a year of refining and the gaining of gold. Uh, I know that's not exactly what you want to hear, but I want to tell you it's going to be a time of revelation and victory, but we must understand all revelation and all victory will be by grace alone, not by our merit or talent, I I want to tell you something that we know, but we forget. He is preparing for himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. We have thought that our denomination could provide that for us. We have thought that this church could provide it for us. We have thought that our best efforts could provide us for it, uh, 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 prepare us for it and and provide it for us. But understand this, loved ones. He is the one that perfects. It is through his sanctifying power that we become a bride without spot or wrinkle. (laughs) And that's what he's up to. Many are pressing in. Many are pursuing God like never before. But every church needs to hear this message. There are many that are cold, that are unwise, that are indifferent, and many are unaware of the coldness of their heart, we have become so profound at at elucidating the failures of society and politicians and our culture that we have pointed out those that are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked and it's never crossed our mind that it might begin first in the house of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you a question. How much distance in your heart is there between 1 Timothy 6 and Hebrews 10? Uh, Now, don't don't look them up now because you you won't pay attention to the next thing I say. But just mark those scriptures down. 1 Timothy 6, we love to live there. It, It reads like this. We trust the living God who has given us all things richly to enjoy. That's a refrigerator scripture. That's one you put on your, the magnet and you put on your refrigerator. And you say, oh, he gives me all things richly to enjoy. Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings are mine. I'm blessed in the basket. I'm blessed in the store. Oh, Abraham's blessings are mine. He gives me all things richly to. But you know what? There's just a few turning pages to Hebrews 10 where the writer of Hebrews said this to those Christians that were going through uncertain times. He said, you have suffered along with those in prison. You ready for this? And joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you know you have a better lasting possession. Loved ones, we do not have the privilege of going to the cafeteria in God's kingdom and saying, I'll take a little of that. Oh, none of that, please. I'll take two of those. Oh, oh, may that be far from me. Don't, do you have that sugar-free? You know, no, we don't have that option. We take every word of God and we apply every principle of God's word to our life and loved ones, we, I'm, I'm not saying that you're going to lose your property, but I'm saying there's a different mindset in the early church than there is in the average church in America. The average church in America has learned how to rejoice when there are things to rejoice over. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul said that. He said, I've learned to abound and I've learned to be abased. He said, I've learned to have it all. I've learned to have nothing. He said, I've learned what it's like to go to a five-star luxury resort and I know what it's like to sleep at the lobby of Motel 6. You know, he said, I, he said there are times for both. But I wonder how many of us understand that we are to embrace difficulty as well as blessing. You say, well, I'm, I'm willing to lose everything. The writer of Hebrews says, you have joyfully accepted What this culture, what this leader, what this king, what these politics, what this system has done to you, you are willing to endure it with joy. Why? Because you know this world is not our home. You know that there is a better place. I tell you, every time I lose somebody that is close to me, like last week, and thank you again for your prayers. I'm reminded this world is not what we are made for. This world is not our home. So 2021 will have incredible challenges and it will have incredible victories. This is the year, this is the word I hear in my spirit. This year, like no year in recent history for us, for the church, will be a year of depth. There will be depth that comes into our lives. And like the wheat and the tares, both evil is growing to maturity and righteousness is growing to maturity. But I want to tell you, God has guaranteed victory for the church. We've said it before. Amen, that's worth clapping over. You at home, put your waffle down and clap. That's a good one, that's a good one, okay? We need to understand that what we've been saying for years is true. It will look like the church is losing before we understand that the church is winning. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. He hasn't brought you through all of these battles to suddenly walk away from you. As one songwriter said, he he didn't teach us to swim just to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us so that when times get rough, he can move away. You see, God is faithful to complete what he has begun in you. And Paul said, I know this, everything that I commit to him, he is able to guard that. He's able to keep that. He's able to watch over that. Now, I want to just talk about three things very quickly this morning. I want to talk about the good fight and bad fight. I want to talk about the battleground and I want to talk to you about our strategy. Again, just a, just a broad overview of where we're going to be going this year. Uh, here's number one. You see it on your notes. If there is a good fight, then it's logical assume, to assume there must be some bad fights too. Uh, Paul, you say, well, how do I know the good fight from a bad fight? Well, let's, let's look at what Paul used to describe the good fight of faith. Uh, number one, he said the good fight involves fleeing. Now, loved ones, oh, there's 712.624 sermons in this sermon. So I've got to really try to stick to my notes. But the, the first thing you and I need to understand, if we're going to fight the good fight of faith, there's some things we've got to turn from. There's some things we've got to flee. Uh, Paul would tell Timothy to flee youthful lusts, to flee the things that battle against the spirit. Uh, When something in the temple was declared to be sanctified, if a cup was declared to be sanctified, uh, two things happened. Number one, it was dedicated to a holy purpose. But before it was dedicated to a holy purpose, it had to be separated from God. Common use. You can't do both, is what the Old Testament taught about holy vessels. James would put it this way Can a fountain send forth good water and bitter at the same time? He said, Brother, these things ought not to be. Fighting the good fight, fight of faith means that we flee some things. We put some things out of our life that we've been comfortable with, that we've been trying to have a treaty over for years. So there's fleeing. Number two, there's pursuing. There's a reaching forward. There's a, there's loved ones. There's some things in your life for God that will not happen passively. Now, some things happen whether you do anything or not. When you become a Christian and you commit your life to him, God begins working for you and you don't have to get up in the morning and beg him to start working for you again. It's going to happen whether you whether you ask for it or not, because God loves us that much, he's committed to us. But there are some things in the Christian life that don't happen without pursuit, without pursuit. I remember somebody told me one time, nobody in this church, but they said, uh, well, God knows I've got problems and if he wants to fix me, he can fix me. And I said, no, You have to lean into him and and pursue righteousness. Here's a third thing that the good fight means. We get a firm grip on certain things. We hold to these things. We don't let them go because you and I live in a culture that the current of the culture is to take things out of your hand. The, The culture of the current is to take things out of your heart. And, and Paul says, if you're going to fight the good fight, you got to flee from some things. You got to pursue other things and you've got to get a firm grip on certain things. And then number four, he said, you've got to make your confession known. You've got to make your confession known. And by confession, I like the word testimony in revelation 12, when it talked about that generation that overcame the devil, it said they overcame him by number one, by the blood of the lamb. Number three was by not loving their life so much that they shunned death. In other words, they were willing to die for their faith. But right there in the middle is by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They clung to the gospel. Like the men of Issachar, we must understand the state of society And what our proper spiritual response should be. Now, loved ones, we quote that verse a lot. The men of Issachar had an understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. We use that scripture an awful lot, but there is a balance that the men of Issachar held. It It was a blessing on that family, and may all of our families be known for this. They understood what the culture was doing at that time in Israel, they understood the climate. And they also understood how we live in this climate. They knew what Israel ought to do. And loved ones, I'm, I'm afraid that we have found it easy to understand, but not easy to know how to live in the culture that's only going to get bigger in 2021. I tell you what, the church in general, and I'm so proud of you. You know, I joke and I say, oh, that couldn't be this church. But you, you I, I am so proud of you. I I mean it when I say you're the greatest church in all the world, and I'm the most blessed man in all the world to be your pastor. I mean that with all my heart. That's That's not just pulpit talk. I mean it. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of the way you've given. I'm proud of the way you've served. I'm proud of the way you've stayed faithful during what has been the toughest year of many of our lives. But the church in general, when all of this began to fall apart, most churches... I think I can say this. I'm not trying to say it judgmentally. But most churches are marked by rage, by criticism, by hurt, by disaffection. And it, it's it's a fact, I think, that most Christians, if they haven't left social media in 2020, have at least thought about doing so because of the anger and the meanness that has risen up in the church. And you know what, loved ones, you might say, well, my rage has been over politics, or my rage has been over sin, or my rage has been over the loss of constitutional rights, and my rage has been over racial uh, injustice, and my da, 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 but loved ones, I want you to understand that when you know a need, but you don't address it in the spirit, all you do is exacerbate the need. And churches by and large are known for their rage, their anger, their venom, and their vile nobody's going to treat me this way, nobody's going to take my rights, nobody's going to tell me I can't come to church, nobody's going to tell me I've got to wear a mask, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I'm, I'm not saying it's you, but I'm saying this is what we, this is the, the the family we're associating with. We are associating with churches in a culture that understand very well the problems, but don't understand how we deal with those problems. And in 2021, God saying, everybody that wants to learn, come with me, come with me, come with me. Rather than seeing ourselves as ancient Israel who possess their land, maybe we would be wiser to understand that our situation is more like Israel in Babylon like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Justin, have they ever been this quiet as they are right now? Pretty quiet. Well, I'm going to put my trust in Brown Chapel crowd. Okay. <laughs> Loved ones, we, we love to take the analogy of we got to go in and possess our land. But that, that was never a lesson for us about geography. That was a lesson for us about in, in, inheriting our spiritual heritage. Uh, we're, We're not so much like Israel in the land as much as we are like Israel in Babylon where we understand that we are of another culture and another kingdom altogether. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we should be patriots that love our country Love our our homes and our churches, our schools, our voting booths. We ought to understand that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. I have no issues with uh, with political activism. I have no issues with uh, American exceptionalism. I'm so thankful to be an American. I'd rather be an American than any other nation in the world. No offense to others. But at the same time, we have to realize that this world is not our final destination. America is not our primary identity. Jeremiah told the people that while you're in Babylon, you be a blessing. He said, you build homes, you enrich your lives if possible, but never forget this. No matter what God does for you in Babylon, remember that there's a better day coming and a better place you're going back to. Ed Stetzer of Wheaton College said this Christians living in America need to realize that the world's hostilities should strengthen our resolve to bring hope to the hurting and restoration to the broken. And that now more than ever, the church needs to be bold in its proclamation and humble in its presence. Bold in our proclamation and humble. In our presence. And loved ones, I want to say a word to the church, to whoever may listen to me, not primarily our church at this point, but certainly to our church as well. I believe that 2020 has saw the church of the Lord Jesus fight secondary battles. And I think it has seen battles, legitimate battles, but they're secondary battles. We have accepted secondary sources of strength. We have let the commander of our uh, army be either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. We have let our authority, we have let our inspiration, we've let our drive come from secondary or tertiary uh, sources, and we have forgotten that we are part of a kingdom whose builder and ruler is God, and the kingdom of God is what matters, not your politics. i tell you what God has been doing and God is still in the process of doing. We are like Gideon who felt a clear command from the Lord to bring down Baal, to bring down wickedness. I agree with that a thousand percent. But he said, I've got a good shot at it here. I've got 32,000 men. And so God took him to a place where he said, everybody that... Is nervous and scared about this battle, go home. So he's reduced from 32,000 to 10,000. And then God brought them to the creek, COVID Creek, or something like that. It's some Hebrew word. And he said this drink. And everybody that drank, everybody that got down like this and lapped up like a dog was compared with those that kept their eyes open and scooped a handful of water and watched as they drank. And the Lord said to him, okay, I'm sending everybody that laps like a dog home. They're not afraid. They were brave. Let me tell you something. There's plenty of courage in the church. But he said, send them home and take those that continue to watch while they drink. You don't like it. I don't like it. Churches don't like it, denominations don't like it, political parties don't like it, but God is trying, not trying, because what he does, he does, but God is getting every church, every family, every organization, every institution, he's bringing them to the point where they don't have their 32,000 anymore, they have their 300, because God is saying there are battles that are gonna be won, but not with your strength, not with your battle plan. Now let's, with that in mind, let's go to the battleground. I'm going to say it. I shouldn't have to say it because I've said it 40, 11 times and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how little people listen, but I know that political battles are battles that are real. I know that the things that we have been enraged about are things that are legitimate points of anger. I know that. I'm not saying we ignore those things. We should never ignore Racism. We should never ignore social injustice. And God forgive the church in America, we should never ignore abortion. We should never ignore the flipping of our nose in the face of God at his loss. Those are battles that need to be fought. I don't disagree with that. But what I'm telling you is God is looking for people that will fight them with this knowledge. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is not by rage. It is not by politics, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. Now let's talk about the battleground. Hurry up, y'all. Listen. Our culture has changed in significant ways that's not observed by those who don't grasp history. I I grew up thinking all the old timers said, well, back in my day, you know, I used to kid my daddy. I said, daddy used to tell me that you walked, you know, six miles to school in the snow. And and by the time the story was told, it was uphill both ways. And my daddy laughed and said, you're right. He said, I didn't go to school. It never snows in West Florida. And I don't know if it was uphill or downhill. You're right. But he said, what I'm trying to tell you is that things were different. And I think every generation says to the next generation, in my day, you know, things were different. And you know, the reason they do that, now that I am an old guy, they're right. They're right. Things were different. And some things were better, some things weren't. But it was different, and I don't think that people understand. <coughs> I know what it's like to be in school during that period of the, of the early 60s, and some of you before that. It was a different environment than it is now. Most of my scripture memorization occurred in the classroom. Uh, it was just a different animal altogether. We have become champions in this in this day. We have become champions of half-truths and incomplete ideas. I think America is worth fighting for. I do not agree with those. Now, this is not thus saith the Lord. This is my opinion. But I'm like Paul when he said, This is my opinion. It's not from the Lord, but I do think I have the Spirit of God. I think I have the Spirit of God, and I think I'm I, I have some wisdom in sharing here. But Instead of cursing America and trying to dismantle America, we need to ask God, if possible, if possible, to redeem our nation and correct what is wrong with our nation. We are not a nation without flaws, but we're being taught that we were always a racist nation, that we were always a, a bigoted nation, that we were always an evil nation. No, we were founded on some pretty solid biblical principles, but not everybody lived them out. And, and, you know, there's no way that a nation can be founded on biblical principles and endorse the enslavement of another race. But you say, well, see, I told you America was wrong from the beginning. Well, I, let me just throw this out to you. I'm not justifying that at all, not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not talking about trying to defend our past. I'm talking about trying to define our future. You see, I think perhaps nations as well as people go through a sanctifying process. America made some mistakes, but our goal is to shepherd America through those mistakes to a better day. You say, well, I just don't think it can happen. Sure it can. And i tell you why I know it can. Because some of you are a lot better than you were 10 years ago. Some of you are a lot better now than you were when you first became a Christian. I, I know it's hard for you to believe, but I've had some bad days. I'm I'm hopefully a better Christian than I was when I began. I said it last week, every one of us would be mortified if certain scenes of our life were played out on that screen. But loved ones, this is what makes Christianity such a hope-filled religion. We we don't come to Jesus and become perfect automatically. Now we do in one sense. In one sense, we are declared perfect. Perfect. We are declared righteous. The moment you become a Christian, you are as ready for heaven right then as you'll ever be for heaven because you are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have a perfect standing before God. But do you live that out perfectly? No, none of us do. But aren't you glad that we can be convicted by the Holy Spirit? we can be refined, we can be purified, and we can become more like Jesus every day. That's the way we've got to pray for our nation. But I do want you to know this. Secularization, is an, which has always been an undercurrent, has become mainstream. Uh, a couple of generations ago, the secularization, secular humanism was an undercurrent that sometimes showed its head here and there, but It was not mainstream. Middle ground in America used to be 80% or more. But there is almost no middle ground today. It has disappeared. Now hear me. This is not our children's fault. But our children face a culture that marginalizes or even expresses hatred for our faith. Our beliefs, our values, our attitudes are increasingly rejected and we need to pray for our children. Back over 20 years ago, I was asking God, uh, you know, how do you see our church? And the Lord showed me something and since then I, I felt like he was showing me that it was the church world, not just our church, but we were we were a much smaller church then, maybe about 4 or 500 people. And And uh, we were all in this outdoor cabana kind of thing, having a wonderful fellowship meal. All the families were there. It was a wonderful time. And we had turned the children loose to play around the dwelling. And they were having a wonderful time. And in this dream... As, um, as I was approaching, I said, Lord, this is so beautiful. This fellowship is wonderful. There's no church like this church. Look at these happy people. And then I realized, and the children playing, and I realized that one by one, the children were being devoured and sucked down. <laughs> and as I got closer, I realized that while we were celebrating our fellowship, the children were being devoured by serpents that were hiding among the grass. Now, I I knew better than to think we don't love our children or don't take care of our children. We've always tried to provide for our children. I tell you, every time I see uh, Pastor Bella on the screen or I think about the ministry of Pastor Frank or others, I know we have always cared for our children and loved our children. But I began to understand that... The, the tendency of Christians is to celebrate where we are and not forget that every generation has to have its own revival. Every generation has to be rooted in its, in its faith. It may surprise you to know that God has no grandchildren. Your children are not in the kingdom because you're in the kingdom. Every child of God has to come to Jesus for himself. My kids were raised in church and all of my kids are serving the Lord. And I'm so thankful for that. But they're not Christians because daddy was a Christian or mama was a Christian. They are Christians because they came to an awareness of their own sinfulness. And they had to give their lives to Jesus. And they are not grandchildren of God. They are children of God. Now, some of this conflict in society is due to the sinful nature of humanity. Some of it's due to demonic influence. Some of it may be due to an increasing attitude among Christians that has resorted to systems that are not reflective of Christ's teachings. Let me explain to you what I mean. One of the things that God is wanting to do in 2021 is to help us learn the right way to fight, the right attitude to fight, but... We're also having to learn that there is a right mindset. I do not want to be offensive to anyone when I say this. I'm not scolding, but I'm telling you, the Bible makes it clear. Don't allow yourself to be conformed to the way this world thinks. I remember taking my children to the beach one time when they were all little and um, they, we had these little plastic things that you put the sand in, the damp sand, and then you turn it over and out pops a castle or a starfish or, or a boat. And my kids just loved, the girls loved it. And I, I forget which uh, child it was. I think it was Joey, but Joey handed me a mold and, and said, I want a shark. Well, we didn't have any sharks, but I, it was no big deal. I just filled it up and put it down. And he said, daddy, that's a castle. I don't want a castle. I want a shark. And he handed me the mold again. And I I said, we can't make it. This is for castles. And I don't want a castle. I want a shark. And I don't know how long it took me to convince that little fella that what is produced depends on the mold and we are wanting our culture to be changed when we are accepting the culture's molding of our minds can, can can i please don't be offended by this because i understand i understand what is being said but during the election when i preached uh, such a hard message against abortion and i said it's not legitimate to say abortion is wrong but that's like saying slavery is wrong but Murder's wrong, but. Rape is wrong, but. No, there are some things that have no but attached to them. And I got, I got into a discussion and, and I, I got permission from this young man to share this. He, he said, I, I, I know that abortion is wrong, but it's just as important to provide quality health care for our seniors. And I said, you know what I believe? I said, I, I am senior. And can you believe Our government had the audacity to mail me a Medicare card this week. (laughs) I want to tell you something. There are things that need to be dealt with. I said, but please, I says, the problem with your mind is that it's molded after this world. You are making a moral equivalency between my health care and the life of a baby. You're saying it's important for me to have health care as it is for that baby to live. And this was my word. It's not very spiritual. I said, you don't have any idea about us old farts. I said, we're not choosing our welfare over a baby on any day of the week. Do I need to be taken care of? Yes, I think America, of all the places in the world, we ought to be able to take care of our sick and our dying and our ailing, and it ought to be done well. We pay so much in taxes, it ought to be a no-brainer. But don't let yourself be molded into that mold that says, well, it's just as important as the life of a baby. No, it's not. And loved ones, I nearly drove myself crazy during the about four or five months of this year trying to make everybody's argument about everything a moral equivalency. And they're not morally equivalent. This is not this, and this is not this. And I'm not gonna get into what's what. Uh, it, something can be, can be worth everything we can put into it, but don't try to make it the equivalent of this thing. And I want to tell you, even God, even, even in the harsh days of the, of the Pentateuch, of the Torah, God understand that, understood that and he wanted us to understand it. He said if a man steals because he's a thief, this is his punishment. But if a man steals to feed his family, this is his punishment. God never, you know, that's why it scares me when I hear. Whew, uh, okay, it scares me. When I say people say, you hear people say, well, all sins alike. You know, running a stop sign is the same as murdering somebody in the eyes of God. Absolutely not. Now, all sin breaks us. All sin separates us. But there's never been a remote teaching in scripture that says all sin is the same. So, loved ones, I want to tell you, and especially to our younger generation that's getting fed this in your classes, Please understand that we do not live in a world of moral equivalencies. We do not live in a world where everything is equal to everything else. That's not true. It has never been true. It will never be true. We must allow our mind to be molded by scripture. He says, do not allow yourselves to be conformed to this world. That's the word of a mold, but be transformed. We love to use the phrase outside the box. He says, go outside the box, become something else by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. Loved ones, one of the things, if you're going to fight the good fight of faith, you have got to come to grips with is you've got to abandon a secular mindset and you've got to go back to the word of God. You've got to abandon those teachers that are telling you that some of the word doesn't apply anymore or that was for that culture, or that was for that time. God forgive us for taking the most precious gift of life, his word, his revelation, his truth that sets us free, and then deciding we will carve it as we want it to be carved. But I wanna ask you two more questions, and we're gonna answer this, not today. Is it possible that we have sought to win a culture war instead of winning the souls of the lost. I think the church, the conservative church, I'm not even talking about the apostate church. I'm not talking about carnal churches. I'm talking about people like us. I think that it may be that we have put the culture war at the top instead of the spiritual war for the souls of man. Listen to what Erwin Lutzer said. We have the best news in the world but often we have communicated it as the right news instead of the good news. We have communicated the right news instead of the good news. You say, but pastor, I believe my political views very strongly. Hey, I do too. I, I, I believe that my political views are right. I believe that if, I believe that if folks would follow my political views, it could save a nation. If folks didn't follow my political views, a nation could be lost. Other than that, I I don't feel one way or the other. (laughs) But I want to tell you, I've never stood behind this pulpit and proclaimed political views. Never have I done that. Been accused of that, but I've never done that. Because I realized that even though political views are important, they are not what builds the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about this? The church of Jesus Christ has not even had a voice in politics except for the last 300, 400 years roughly. Their goal wasn't who are we gonna get in the throne? Their goal was how can we survive? How can we keep our children alive? How can we help our old people live to be older still? The church, we, 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 we've built a whole prophetic culture and we've built a whole prayer culture around politics. And loved ones, there is no such thing in the scripture. There are principles righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. I think consequences uh, come about every time we go to the ballot box. I think it matters who's in the governor's house. I think it matters who's in the white house. I think as Americans, we have an, we have an undeniable heritage that we need to keep pure and we need to def- defend and we need to go back to some roots and get rid of some mistakes. I believe that with all of my heart. But loved ones, there are people today that are preaching politics in the name of Jesus. Left, right, both sides. And they are determining that everything will be right or wrong depending on who's in government. Loved ones, I I think if we study church history, we'll find out that the church has flourished under absolute dictatorships. The church has flourished when she was persecuted. And I've just come to the conclusion, I can't keep everybody happy politically. I'll I'll die an early death trying to keep everybody happy. And I'm not willing to. I got too many grandkids I'm praying in. I'm sorry, I'm I'm not going to stand with this group and I'm not going to stand with that group. I'm not going to take that position. I'm not gonna take that position. I'll I'll vote my conscience. I'll stand for what I think is right. I'll teach my children the, the way I think we ought to go. But at the end of the day, this church is about the kingdom of God. It's about the word of God. And the only thing I know to say is if that's not good enough, then I don't know what to offer you. I don't have anything to offer you. Man, this is amazing. (laughs) So what do we do? Okay, I'm glad you asked because I got to stop. You you are the ones keeping me going. It seems that we either have to become like the secular culture around us. That's option number one. Or number two, we need to isolate from the culture. And, And again, I'm not being belligerent, but if we isolate from the culture, then we become nothing more than an oddity. I love the Amish people. I I love the Mennonite people. And and I'm I'm jealous of them for the way they have withdrawn from from culture and their life is so much simpler. Uh, Again, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ if they know the Lord. But the Amish mindset, Mennonite mindset, mindset is not impacting the world. So I don't think withdrawal from secular culture is the answer. So you become a hostile counterculture. We're not gonna be like you and we're gonna tell you you've got bad breath, you probably have ingrown toenails and we don't want you moving into our neighborhoods. Or the fourth choice, we can become a counterculture movement that reflects the teachings and love of Jesus. Loved ones, we ought to live differently than the world. Our young men ought to deport themselves different than the world. Our young ladies and young men ought to dress differently than the world. Our speech ought to be different. Our viewing habits ought to be different. The places we go ought to be different. The things that we take into our body (coughs) ought to be different. But even though we are a counterculture, we love the culture that we are in. We love the people that are around us. Now, what's our strategy? Let me give it to you quickly. I know you're tired. Here's number one. We rediscover our source of life, spiritual devotional connection with Jesus. Seminaries right now are teaching men and women to be good leaders. They're not teaching them to be good preachers in general. I know there are exceptions. Please don't feel like you need to, you know, schedule an appointment to tell me, well, I know of so-and-so that's still, I know there are. Praise God there are. But generally speaking, the church leadership culture is being taught to be a good leader and, and not be a man of God, not be a woman of God. Number two, we rediscover, we reclaim the essentials of our Christian faith on a personal and collective level. Loved ones, we've got to get back to the scriptures. The the reformation was fueled by one primary thought, the scriptures alone. It's not the teaching or the word of anyone else. It's not even the the posture of the church, as important as that is, but it is the scripture alone. And loved ones, I, I know that every one of us say amen to that, but I'm concerned that, that we put far more trust right now as a movement. I don't think it's true here. But I think we put far too much trust in prophetic words and new teachings and quirky little ideas. We're, we're, we're like people that always, like the Athenians, we're always looking for something new. Something new from the Greek, something new from the Hebrew, something new from the culture. And, and you know, what is the prophet saying? And loved ones, I think right now we're being held high and dry on some things because we're being punished for walking away from the scripture. We've got to get back to the scripture, the fellowship of the church, the worship of God and service to mankind through ministry. Here's the third thing. And we're going to rediscover our source. We're going to reclaim the essentials. The third thing, we restate our faith apart from politics and preferences. Now, I've already explained this. Politics have consequences, good and bad. The right to preferences is legitimate. But the church, the, 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 even the remnant, even the remnant has fallen into the trap to think, some churches think the only party that represents me correctly is the party Jesus would belong to, or or the the party that holds to my values and views is the party Jesus would hold to. Now, now again, again, guys, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying politics don't matter. I I I think I I think I I think I, I don't understand how we can put something like abortion aside whenever we're thinking politics. I just don't know how we can do that. But I also want you to to understand this. With all the fervency that we reject one party's views, we tend to grab hold of the other party's views. And Jesus is left a distant second if he's in the mix at all. Here's number four, redefine our mission We exist to worship, to equip, to serve. Number five, we must resist a spirit of passivity that has largely paralyzed Christianity in America. Let me tell you how I want to end this today. I want to say this. There are basically, I think, two types of people that are in the church. Um, I'm talking about the remnant church. I'm talking about churches like ours. Uh, well, three types of people, I should say. One is people that are just, you're pressing in, you're staying the course, you're on track, and praise God for you. But I also think there are those that you love the Lord, but the events of the last year have you so discouraged. You're so downhearted. You, you say, I, I, I just it's a struggle for me to have faith. Loved ones, I'm not trying to be trite, but I'm saying I want to ask God to just let you get a different view. I've told this story numerous times back in the, um, let's see, what would have been the 40th anniversary of, of D-Day. There was a special and two men were interviewed. One man went ashore from a landing craft and one man was flying. He had a mission, uh, aerial mission, uh, reconnaissance. And they interviewed the first man who was on Omaha Beach, pinned down with his f- friends dying all around him. He said, the middle of the day, he said, I looked around me. He said, and he said, I, I meant it. He said, we're going to lose this thing. We're going to lose. And you couldn't blame him because all he could see was death and body parts. He said, we're going to lose this thing. They interviewed the other man who was in aerial recon. And he said, when I, when I first came on the scene, he said, there was such utter confusion. I said, nobody knows what they're doing. You've got this unit doing this. This is going on at Omaha Beach. This is going on at Utah Beach. This is what's going on at Sword and Gold. And he said, it's it's utter chaos, it's utter confusion. He said, but as I circled and radioed in my information, he said, and I looked at all the chaos. He said, I began to see the plan. He said, they and he said, we didn't even know the plan because if we got shot down. We weren't, we they didn't want us to be able to be interrogated. He said, about halfway through the day, he said, I looked down out of my despair and said, we're going to win this thing. We're going to win this thing. One man looks around and says, we're going to lose this thing. Another man is looking at the same thing and saying, we're going to win this thing. You say, well, this man had faith. This man didn't. Oh, please give me a break. Don't be so spiritual. (laughs) i tell you what it was. This man was down here in the trenches And all he could see was what's right around him. The other man had a heavenly perspective. You ever wondered why the holy angels, when the world's going to hell in a handbasket, prophet Isaiah said, they said continually, nonstop, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah probably said, yeah, right. What was the difference? When you live in the presence of God, you see things differently. Some of us have been in the pit. We've been in the the trenches. That's not your fault. It's not because you're sinful. It's not because you don't have faith. But loved ones, one of the things the enemy has tried to do is make the church give the estimate of things from where she is instead of where she's going. And I want to tell you, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, you just got to ask the Lord to help you see it that way. The other group that I'm very concerned with are folks that you consider yourself a Christian. You love the Lord. But you've lost your first love. You're, you're, you're angry. You're troubled. You're troubled. Let your anger rest a minute. Nobody's trying to tell you that your offense is not valid. This is not about the validity of your offense. If it wasn't valid, it probably wouldn't be an offense. But this is about your relationship to Him. I found in my life, whenever I get in bitterness and unforgiveness, my relationship with Him has slipped. Whenever I get in the pits, I'm not praying like I need to pray. When I get discouraged, I'm not in the word like I need to be there. I realize that that my perspective and my attitude is directly connected to how directly connected I am to him. This is what the Lord said through Jeremiah. This is what I say to you first. Wake up. I'm I'm not scolding you. I'm not saying, oh, you idiot, wake up. I'm saying I know what it's like to be asleep. I know what it's like to be lulled into senselessness. And I'm telling you, wake up. And we've said it before. The thing about being asleep is you never know you're asleep until you wake up. Nobody came in here today saying, oh, I'm asleep in Jesus. No, you'd say, I'm vibrant, I'm alive But by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit, he's waking you. He's saying, don't be conformed to this mindset. He's saying, don't be trapped by this attitude. Don't be mad with pastor. He's just, he's just a man. Don't be mad with the church. It's just an institution that's on its way to glorification. He's saying, wake up. I'm saying, wake up, get back to your first love and the, formula for getting back to your first love is found in Revelation chapter two with the church at Ephesus. You remember where you used to be. Can I tell you that no virus can take you out of the presence of God? The virus took my brother. I despise the virus. I hate the virus. But nothing that hell can vomit on me, can take me out of the presence of God. You know that. You know that. ones. we're not going to be able to have an 18-month step-by-step program to get everybody happy again. We need to wake up. And we need to remember that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The prophet... Jeremiah, God spoke to him in chapter two and he said this, I remember when you were like a newlywed. That's what he said to Israel. He said, I remember when you were like a newlywed. You followed me anywhere and you went through anything and everything I ask of you was a joy and a delight. Loved ones, if we've lost it, we remember, we repent and we return. That's Revelation 2. I remember what it used to be. We ask him to bring back the new again. Loved ones, some of us just need to spend the next week saying, Lord, bring back the new again. Take me back, Lord, to the place where I first received you. Lord, I'm not wanting a simplistic faith, but I am wanting a simple faith. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. And everything he puts over my life is love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Habakkuk said this though there's no food in the, in the crib, though there's no livestock in the pen, though there's no wheat in the field, I will rejoice. I will celebrate my God because he has a way. And he does. He does. Father, we're out of time. I know we are. We're out of time. Don't tell anybody, Lord, but we've been out of time. (laughs) But thank you for a congregation with the patience to let me deliver my heart. Father, some of us here, some of us in Brown Chapel, some of us listening at home. you can touch us wherever we are. I remember Ramona and I driving down the highway when we were out of town, listening to Corey preaching and me weeping because of the presence of God filling that car when we were were hundreds of miles from here. So you're able to touch us wherever we are. I'm asking that you would help those of us that are disheartened, that are looking around and saying, We're going to lose this thing. Help us to just be lifted up into heavenly places so that we see the whole story. We're going to win this thing. We're going to win this thing. I know the scripture says in the last days, evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's going to happen. I know it's true, but that's not one I'm going to fulfill. I choose to fulfill, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And upon handmaiden and wealthy alike, I will pour out of my spirit, says the Lord. We're gonna win this. We're going to win this. Father, I just ask you to move in us so that we're not embarrassed when we win embarrassed at our doubt, embarrassed at our unbelief, embarrassed by the stuff that comes out of our mouth. Lord, help us to sing the right song on the right side. And Father, for those that have just become passive, Lord, remind them of what they had when they first came to know you. Remind them of the fire of the Spirit. Remind them of what it was like unable to sleep at night, not because of worry, but just loving on you, sensing your presence. Oh, Lord, bring back the new again. I ask you to bring back the new again. Lord, pursue us and bring back the new again. (coughs) Bring back our tears Bring back our weeping. Bring back our intercession. And help us to realize that we don't have to have an opinion about everything. And even if we do, we don't have to give it. Help us. Help us. Lord, the bottom line is this fill us with your Spirit. Church, would you just open your heart to Him right now? Fill us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Drive out our carnality. Drive out our selfishness. Drive out the works of the flesh and the fruit of the flesh. And come, Holy Spirit. Come, come, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us a new language. Give us a new mind. Give us a new grace. Give us a new infilling. (coughs) And when the world looks at us, May they know we are yours by the way that we love. In Jesus' name. Our ministry team is going out into our prayer area right now. We're going to end the service. Those of you, whether you're in Brown Chapel or here in the sanctuary, if you want to have prayer, if you want to give your life to Jesus, that's the starting point. If you want to know that your sins are forgiven, Or if you need prayer for a special need, you're sick or what have you, we believe that he is healer and helper. We're asking you, when we ask everybody to stand and dismiss everyone, most folks will go that way. But we ask you to come this way and the ushers down here in this area will take you to a prayer team. They'll be glad to minister to you. If you're listening online, there's a number on your screen uh, or will be in just a moment. That is a direct line right into our church and prayer partners are ready to pray with you just as soon as you call in. We're here for you. Would you stand with me, loved ones? Hey, we're marching into 2021 and we're marching to Zion. We're marching under the presence and grace of God. So now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May his favor love and anointing cover you all the days of your life in Jesus name Amen. Thank you for being with us don't forget prayer teams are ready